0: The following is a presentation of the Speedsport Podcast Network.
1: This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing.
0: This is Forward Bike from the Speedsport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass. Here's your host, Kyle Armstrong. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bike Podcast. I'm your host Kyle Armstrong, and I'm I'm happy to be back in here. We've uh, we've took a few weeks off and kind of. Kind of got her mind back right, and I think we're going to be back uh, back to doing these a little bit more often. So, uh, Adam Logan is not with us today. He uh, he's on a work trip out in Iowa. He said so he couldn't be here. And I had an opportunity to come into the studio today and had a very special guest here. I reached out to uh, late last week and actually months ago, six or seven months ago, we were actually trying to line this up. I got Josh Richardson here with Hess Race Cars, and he's building these race cars and and racing them too, so he's, uh, and he's been racing for a long time. And I, I'd be honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about the guy, but me and him have kind of, kind of had like a work relationship over the past few years. You know, where I work with SRI, and he comes in and gets stuff, and uh, you know, we just sort of talked about it. Man, we we'll get you on the podcast, and the, and he's ran. Some NASCAR races before and uh he's, he's he's done a lot so i'm interested to kind of hear his story and uh, i'm gonna learn just as much as the listener tonight <laughs> i feel like so welcome to the forward
1: bike podcast josh i appreciate you having me kyle and uh yeah we've been racing a long time i uh, grew up in a, a extremely racing oriented family the bodine brothers are all my uncles and my dad has been the manager of ken schrader racing for shoot probably 20 25 years now it's been a good while um the last 4 years I had been driving for Billy Hess before he passed away and um we are doing our best to continue Billy's wishes building dirt late model chassis and um we're very grateful to be where we are.
0: Yeah, now Billy Hess was a was an instrumental figure in motorsports, an innovator really and sadly we lost him a few months ago and uh Honestly, around that time was whenever I was going to have you on before he passed away. And then he passed away. And I just didn't feel like the timing was right. So we've put this off a little bit. But talk a little bit about your relationship with Billy and kind of who he was.
1: Yeah, so Billy was more than just a car owner for me there at the end. Um, Billy come into my life, you know, I was building a lot of parts for Nick Hoffman. And uh, Nick was building some parts out of Matt Crafton's shop. Well, Matt Crafton had bought Billy's buildings when Billy had became sick. Um, so Billy and I started putting our ideas on paper and built a car, and uh, we raced it for two or three years and uh, cut and moved and changed a lot of things on our car. And uh, our relationship grew to as much of a father-son figure as much as a car owner-driver thing, and uh, he did his best to make sure at, the time of his departure he put me in a good position to continue my future and my racing career and try to continue his dream of building dirt lane model chassis so that's where we're at
0: so how many have you built so far
1: so i've only got two of them done but here recently i've been able to make a great partnership with justin shaw justin shaw is cj rayburn's grandson he has just acquired the part or the buildings of the rayburn property and justin is going to be the dealer for our race cars we are going to call them legacy chassis with the background of my family with what billy has done for my future and with justin's background we thought legacy chassis kind of tied everybody in together and would still carry on the reputation of the people that we're representing. So that's where we're at. We're proud to announce that Legacy Chassis will be distributed by Justin Shaw out of the C.J. Rayburn shops.
0: In Whiteland, Indiana. In Whiteland, Indiana. I've turned around in his driveway before just to see where it was.
1: So my dad's very first job was actually at Rayburn's when he was, you know, teenager, 20s. So it's kind of cool to be coming full circle. And the partnership that I've created with Justin has been a tremendous opportunity for myself, for the opportunity to continue the brand of the race car that we're building, and to promote The knowledge and experience that we both have coming from the racetrack. Um, I grew up at the racetrack, and that's all I've ever done. I've never had a real job, so this is a great opportunity for me to continue my involvement in building race cars and helping to, you know, expose people to, you know, the knowledge and the backgrounds of the families that we do come from.
0: So up there at that shop at Rayburn's old shop here at his house and all that, are they going to build the chassis there or are you going to kind of...
1: Nope, I'm going to build everything. I have a shop up in North Wilkesboro. Right. I'm going to build the cars 100% complete myself and transport them to Justin so he can sell them as turnkey cars. Right now we have a plan to build six or eight per year. Uh, I build every part and piece for those cars myself, spindles, uppers, lowers, bodies, every bit of it. I build 100% myself. So my quality control and our ability to duplicate is very precise, very you know, repeatable. Um, and I feel that we have produced a, a piece that is capable of competing against any other brand that's out there. And we're going more towards the quality over quantity mode. You know, there's some companies out there that are spitting out a lot of race cars. We want customers that are going to be proud of what they're racing. We don't want a guy that's going to be buying five or six different chassis and all that. We have a design that's different than most. Um, and we've worked hard, I've worked hard over the last few years with Billy's support to design what we have created.
0: I look at you and like, uh, I compare you to like Austin Kirkpatrick a little bit. Like you're, you and him are both kind of the same in a way that you're kind of building this stuff in the, in your own shop and R and D yourself. I mean, you, you race too. Let's not forget yeah, that. Yeah, for and,
1: sure. Um, I, with the ability to fabricate and drive and the background that I have, I mean, like I said, we, like you said, I've had a lot of NASCAR starts and you know, Arca and trucks and everything in between. And I've, uh, you know, crew chiefed some sports car stuff, and I've got a multiple different, you know, areas that I try to take my knowledge from and put it towards to what we've had. And, uh, yeah, myself, Austin Kirkpatrick, there's not been many people out there that can build and create and drive and know the feel of the changes as you're making adjustments to your chassis to develop it to be a better car.
0: There's not a whole lot of people out there that want to work that hard anymore either. Yeah,
1: no. uh, That's part of why I kind of have my hands on every piece of it, just because, you know, help is so hard to find. That's kind of why we've gone into this with a small number per year. Just because it's difficult to keep an employee. Especially the lower the overhead is, the lower we can keep our chassis prices, the more competitive we can be to the other chassis manufacturers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like to hear that. And I think it's uh like you said, you got a perfect name for it. Legacy. It's gonna carry on the, the Rayburn legacy right there of cars being able to come out of that shop again and uh that's gonna be
1: We're excited about the future cool. for sure. Yeah.
0: That's going to be pretty cool. Well, PRI is coming up around the corner. Are you going to go up there and uh, kind of debut anything or or whatever for that?
1: So uh, Friday night of the PRI show, Justin is planning an open house at the Rayburn Shops. So we invite anybody that's, you know looking to come see the Rayburn shop facilities or our new legacy chassis. You know, we will have an open house on Friday night. I will be up there. Justin will be there and we will both be at PRI show both days.
0: And that's only like an hour and a half, maybe less. Yeah. It's
1: not very far at all from where the show is.
0: That'd be cool. That'd be, that'd make, uh, anybody listening, that'd be a cool opportunity for you to get to go kick around at Rayburn shop and, and see what Justin and, uh, and y'all are doing up there for sure
1: yeah yeah we're uh, we're definitely looking forward to it we uh we feel that we've created a very beautiful race car uh we have the support from steve maynard and Earnhardt technology group so every bolt-on piece comes from steve so we feel that we have got the highest quality parts and components that you can build a race car out of
0: absolutely and yeah, they make some neat stuff for sure yeah absolutely So uh, talk a little bit about your own driving career. Where did you kind of get started?
1: So growing up in the Bodine family, I started racing real young. I started go-kart racing around four years old. Um, Moved on up driving factory go-karts and stuff like that. Got my first race car when I was 14. Uh, We ran pavement late model stock car around here, southeastern based. And at that time, nascar racing was the goal my uncle jeff had owned his own race team and my uncle brett had also owned his own race team and the family's goal was for me to fill in my uncle brett's seat after he had moved on and unfortunately things didn't work out that way and the family just kind of dissipated and that's kind of when my nascar racing expired um but hindsight looking back it was the opportunity where i was forced to go out and learn a trade i had to go go get a job after the race team shut down i, I was 20 something years old and i had raced my entire life and i didn't have a skill set other than building race cars so i went and got some jobs learned how to fabricate better got my skills honed in to where this opportunity that Billy has blessed me with, I'm capable of fulfilling now. I I can build a race car from the steel rack to the racetrack myself, and if my driving career back then hadn't expired the way it did, I wouldn't have had to go to work the way I had. You know, I've got, you know, 35, 40 Bush Series starts, and a handful of truck starts, and a handful of ARCA starts, and there for a good while i was doing a lot of ken schrader's practicing and qualifying and stuff like that for multiple series across the board and he would show up and do the races and you know i had a really good driving career going and you know i'm just turned 41 so 10 15 years ago the economy was tough and i went through the spell of when i was 15 they wanted 25 year olds and when i was 25 they wanted 15 year olds so i just kind of missed it a little bit um I'm I'm very grateful for where I am today and the opportunities that I have and the beginning of building my own business. My wife comes from a racing family herself, so for us to be able to continue what we've grown up doing in a little shop that I get to play with my little dog and build race cars and do it, you know, how we like to do is, you know. It's the American dream. I can't complain.
0: Sounds like you got it made. I, I like to think so. So recently, you moved. Uh, you moved away from Mooresville up to, up to North Wilkesboro. Kind of how did that go, and uh, what do you? What's the pros and cons of that? Because I know Mooresville is just it's it's overgrown itself. You know oh, right? I know. I mean, you've <laughs> joked about that before.
1: Yeah, I I've grown up in this area. I'm originally from Harrisburg, North Carolina. I grew up just down the street from the Speedway, and. I want to say 97 or 98 is when my uncle Brett bought the race team from Junior Johnson. So we transported the Junior Johnson team from North Wilkesboro to Mooresville. And, you know, at that time, the area was great. You could drive around everything, and the traffic is just gotten so out of hand. And the prices of everything are so outrageous that when Billy came to me and said, what are you looking to do with your future? And you know, obviously I don't know how to do anything other than build a race car. So the only opportunity for me to do this was I had to put myself in a position where my overhead was something that I, I could handle, I could afford, and I didn't feel like I was putting myself in a place where I had to produce things that I wasn't happy of just to continue to pay my bills. So I have a great landlord up in North Wilkesboro that I got a beautiful little shop, and I have an apartment in my shop. And I've put all of my bills and eggs into this one basket to build race cars. And my wife and I, and my supporters that are, you know, in my, on my side, we're doing everything we can to, you know, continue what Billy has helped me produce. And now with the help of Justin and others that help me build what i'm trying to build here and we have a great future
0: yeah sounds like it for sure um i mean talking about the future but let's talk about the past i, I, I want to hear some stories about you <laughs> and billy hess and how y'all how y'all kind of hit it off and and, and billy and, and you know we talked about rayburn a minute ago he's a legendary chassis builder obviously needs no introduction to any of our listeners that are listening to this but billy hess also was just as just as prominent in the in the, in the oh, NASCAR industry. Oh, for and everything. sure. So
1: in the late '80s, early '90s, if you didn't have a Hess race car or Hess Spindles mm-hmm. in NASCAR, you were struggling. And uh, Billy and I's relationship, Billy was a a hardcore racer himself. When he was growing up, he come from Hialeah, Florida. He built and raced his own cars, and when our relationship developed and he saw that I had the skill set to build, to race, to drive, to set it up, to do all the things. He saw that we could produce things. So as we got to go to the racetrack and we got to spend time together and we really saw that we were very similar, like-minded people. And I, I like to think that he saw my ability to help, you know, but we definitely spent a lot of time up and down the road especially the first couple years before he got as sick as he did there at the end um he loved the dirt car he liked having dirt thrown in his face he loved the noise the excitement of it and he had raced pavement for so long he was looking for a new avenue and and it was a distraction from him for being sick you know we never talked about what was going on we just talked about roll centers and offsets and whatever migrations whatever we could figure out to make that race car better that's that was our relationship it was his medicine yeah. so you know I'm very grateful there I was there at that time you know when he would call me I know that it was getting his mind off of being sick or whatever was disturbing him and we would talk about just race car and it was very rewarding to talk race car with a man that had grew up in the era when they were designing and figuring out and why they were doing what they were doing and spindles and geometries and why we do what we do with the front ends to make them do what we do. And, you know, that information I'll carry with me to the day I pass. You know, those, those lessons are irreplaceable. Those, those stories of up and down the road before the interstate systems were in and, you know, you can't get those back you know and i definitely value the time that we had
0: let's take a quick break here on the forward bike podcast presented by my race pass on the speed sport podcast network we'll be right back with more with josh richardson all right welcome back to the forward bike podcast we're here in studio today with josh richardson and josh i can't thank you enough for coming down here we uh we're here in mooresville you just we just now got through talking about you moving from mooresville to north wilkesboro and that's at least an hour almost an hour and i can't thank you enough for coming down here and being a part of this show
1: tonight uh i i thank you kyle you know <laughs> the ability to get the word out of what we're trying to do is priceless you know and the fan base that you guys are reaching out to those are the people that we want to communicate to you know the people that are looking to buy a race car that's where we're you know trying to shoot for so The ability to come on here and tell you, you know, people what we're doing, that's, that's, you know, we're thankful for it. Almost
0: like, uh, like we, like I said, when I started, almost everything you've said tonight on here is something I've never, I've learned (laughs) everything that you've told me tonight. Just like the listeners are, this will be a treat for them for sure.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I grew up just before the smartphone, you know, when we was running around racing late models, I grew up with Shane Mew and Brian Vickers and John Wood. We grew up go-kart racing and all that stuff together. And we moved all up through the series and. You know, we grew up racing with some really strong quality racers. And, you know, in that time frame, there wasn't social media. There wasn't the ability to promote yourself like it is today. So you know, there's a lot of people that don't know of, you know, the past that I've had and the amount of racing that we have done. And, you know, the family's, you know, backgrounds and everything that, you know, we have the knowledge to pick from
0: absolutely yeah man I, i'll tell you what it's uh that that chassis and everything y'all got going on is going to be pretty neat to see what uh, what transpires out of it i know just like you said there's people that's going to hear this that might pick up the phone and call you guys and, and be on
1: there you know trying to order one for sure and yeah, that's the whole goal you know we wouldn't have ventured off this far and doing all of the things that we're doing if we weren't confident in the race car that we've built and the parts and pieces that we're creating for our car
0: yeah, we were kind of joking between the break there about you being a vegetarian. That was something that uh, I don't think anybody – is that true?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm uh, five years into being a vegetarian. That started out more with a food allergy, and I over-educate myself on most subject matters. And once I've you know kind of over-educated, I just completely quit eating meat.
0: How do you do that? Like, I love meat. Like, I have to have – uh-huh. i'm eating three or something if, if i'm gonna eat lunch
1: it was easier than you'd think honestly i i i didn't feel good after i would have a hamburger or whatnot and i finally did the food allergy tests and they told me that pretty much everything they grow the animals with antibiotics and all that stuff i my body didn't digest and once I started eating a vegetable-based diet, I felt better. I had more energy and everything was back to normal. Maybe that sounds like what I might need to do. <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, our food system is not in good condition. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, no doubt. Um, so we got, we talked about the chassis. We talked about everything. We have not talked about your, uh, recent, uh, racing, like driving career in the, in the dirt Lake models. I mean, you've ran Carolina clash ultimate and, and maybe what else, but you've, uh, like regionally, anyway, and
1: yeah, we definitely we we were out running as often as physically possible for sure. The last three years, we ran Southern All Stars, we ran Carolina Clash, we ran anywhere that was racing with a super late model, um, and dirt racing coming from a pavement background it was tough to go develop a car dirt racing because there's no testing well you can test but it's not the same track conditions that you have at the end of a 50 or 60 lap or a race and you know so we really just had to focus on a and b you know we changed You know, was it better or worse, better or worse, better or worse? We would have nights where we'd run good, and I'd come home, and I'd move five things, and we'd struggle for the next four nights, and I'd move things back, and it would go. But until I moved every part, piece, component on that race car, I wasn't satisfied that I had the best possible product that I could produce. And I changed right rear, left rear, left front, right front, up, down, everywhere I could go before I said, okay, this is the package that I want to go forward with. And once we got there we jigged it up and you know, that's the new race car we built
0: yeah and I know you've been uh, you've definitely been r & d in that thing hardcore over the last couple of years ever since I've really got to know you over the last few year, or couple of years I guess and um, every time I talk to you you're changing something or doing something different just like you just said
1: we uh, when I when Billy and I started racing together he gave me the option do I want to go buy a chassis brand that we feel comfortable we can just go win races off the bat or do I want to develop something? And with the opportunity to work with Billy and the information that was at our hands and the tools we had available, it was foolish for me to choose to go buy another brand race car, For especially at the age I was at and where my career has gone and what I was looking to do for my future. The opportunity to develop and build a race car was something that I didn't think I was going to have that opportunity at the, you know, so... The development and you know, c- cutting parts and moving things and just changing off uh, you know, sheer imagination sometimes was rewarding. Cause coming from NASCAR, that is no longer available. You you can't you can't use your creativity, you can't use your imagination, you can't look at something and say, Man, if I move this bar there, that could be better. We're in our dirt lay models. Pretty much anything you can come up with for the most part you can do and you know that's the the thing that i am intrigued about with where i'm at with building race cars in the future and it was the opportunity to say hey if i move this here and it's different than everybody else's it might be better you know and if everybody's in the same box you're only going to go the same speed everybody else is going but if you build something a little bit different i'm not in left field but my car is different and if everybody has the same thing, you're not going to beat them. So I tried to make my car just a little bit different in many ways so I have a different product. So once you get my race car tuned in, you will be able to hopefully outrun other brands.
0: Well, how, So you've been driving that car, and there's only that's pretty much the only one is the one you've been driving. So there's, right?
1: there's three in existence. The original one that I started racing with that we cut up and moved around. Then I jigged it and built my car. And now the third one is the first one that will be going to Justin Shaw up in Indiana. And um, I have started on the fourth If anybody
0: else out there driving it, I guess is what I
1: was. Nope, nope. I'm the only one that's driven one um, so far. And, you know, Billy was able to support me to race up and down the road enough to get to where I thought I was comfortable with my car. I wasn't able to win a race to get it sold that way but i feel that my car is beautiful i have the highest quality components on there and the information behind everything that we did was tried and tested there wasn't a guess we changed it moved it changed it moved it yes this is better no that's worse and that's you know that's where we
0: moved forward so uh, i guess my next question is how close do you feel like you are to getting that thing into
1: victory lane I grew up as a pavement racer. My biggest struggle dirt racing was qualifying. I would have the hard charger every night of the season when I would go out because I would qualify 8th, 10th, 15th, somewhere in there, and my car would have the fastest lap time of the race every night that I would run. Once I get a dirt racer in there, I feel that the winds are going to start rolling off. I know From my experience and my background about making a car steer and making a car have forward drive. Those are the two things they have to do. They have to turn in the middle and they have to forward drive. (laughs) You know, and I feel that with all of the changes through everything we did with the left rear four bar brackets and the bird cages in the front suspension to make it steer and the spindles we created and everything that we've done, we're just different enough that my car steers very well and it has a lot of forward drive. I get a good dirt racer in there, it's not going to take long before there's checkered flags and podium pitchers and, you know, race car sales and all of the things start taking off. I'm, I'm impatiently waiting for that to happen.
0: And that's going to be when you're sitting on a gold mine, hopefully. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's what it takes though. I mean, you look at like Longhorn and Rocket right now, that's the two dominant chassis and that's what's winning. And and when those guys uh, when those guys win in them it's marketing i mean they sell once somebody goes and wins in those and that's t- really the two brands right now that are really winning all the races the big so
1: race. longhorn chassis obviously was founded by Justin Labani and the Labani family and you,
0: you and him are tied
1: ain't we you we grew up together yeah. it same similar background i mean you look similar to him
0: really y'all could be <laughs> kin or something
1: well we both have <laughs> uncles and family that were nascar drivers yeah. we both grew up go kart racing and all of this Justin contacted me when he, con- when he started building Longhorns about going up there to do that. It was just an hour-and-a-half drive from where I was at Mooresville, and it just never worked out. But we have a very similar background. We, we have similar knowledge. We, we, we both know what a race car takes to make it go better. And Justin was a very similar type of driver that I am. Justin didn't go make his Longhorns win races. But he was good enough to know that his race car was better or worse when he decided he was going to put other people in his cars. That's when they started selling.
0: Well, yeah. I I mean, I remember when they first started. I mean, they struggled for a long time, for several years, and now they're at the top of their game and building several cars a week.
1: And, you know, to see where it's transformed into and what Steve Arpin has taken it from what Justin had, you you know, those are very promising things for our future.
0: I really see. I'm looking at you. I really see no reason why you couldn't, why you can't get that done.
1: I I feel uh, my talent is definitely there to do it. I feel like you're on the verge. You're right on the cutting edge of doing (laughs) that soon. I know that I'm as good as anybody that I've ever raced against. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm the best race car driver that's ever walked because I know that's not true. But I'm talented and I know my abilities can stack up. But I also know that I'm, you know, getting older. And the younger generation is a little bit more f- less fearless than I am, and you know, get a young, talented racer that has the backing to continue to race properly. Those are the type of people that we're looking for to you know race our chassis.
0: Well, good deal. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds with all of that. I, I really am. So, uh, what else you got for uh, on the plate other than that?
1: Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a little bit of a game plan going forward with my racing. I wanted to get a car or two sold before I started racing myself again. Um, I have all my race car and everything that, you know, that we had been working on for the past few years sitting there. And once I'm comfortable with the business and, you know, making sure that the customers are taken care of and all of that's going well. I plan on racing myself. I, I'm not done. I, I feel like my, my NASCAR career kind of got cut short because, you know, if, you know things that were uncontrollable. Um, and the best car owner I ever had, we were unable to continue the dream because of cancer. You know, I, I know that I'm talented. I know that I've learned and been able to hone my skills to create a beautiful race car. And... I still want to race. You know, there's there's a lot of racing left in my future. Um, like I said, my wife comes from a racing family. She's a Bowser. She she has, you know, uncles and fat fathers and all that that drove race cars. So that's what we do. You know, we, we race. So if I'm able to build and sell my own race cars and support my own racing through selling my own race cars, I, I can't pick a better way to continue living the rest of my life.
0: I agree. Now this question here, I've I've kind of thought of off the top of my, well, it's kind of a, kind of a basic question, I guess, but what would be like, like your ultimate goal with this car? Would it be like, have, you know, go win the world 100 or would it be go win the dirt track world championship or some kind of a big race like that? Are you setting your, your bar that high yet?
1: Obviously those type of wins and stuff will come when you have quality racers in your car. I just want other competitors and manufacturers to respect what we're doing, to think that these guys built a quality piece. Um, There's lots of smart racers in this world. I'm not the smartest by any means, but I, I feel like... You know, if other racers say, "Hey, man, that guy built a good race car, and that thing drives good," you know, that's that's the satisfaction at this stage of my career that I'm after. Somebody appreciating the knowledge and the effort that I've put into building a quality, fast race car.
0: So, your car that that, you, that I've saw that you've uh, that you've built already, visually standing back looking at it, it looks different than any other car in the pit area. Uh, what kind of it looks like it is like the wheelbase different or anything like that or is it no
1: our wheelbase and everything is you know it's within tolerance of all the other cars um i i grew up in a nascar family where i learned that aerodynamics is very important and all you know body skew and the things like that so i tried to push as many of the envelopes as i could
0: and it looks like you have like things got a lot of skew yeah
1: and uh you know there's with all the manufacturers out there, there's not a race car that you can just go buy that's already got all the tricked-out pieces, all the fancy brackets, all of the, all of the pieces that you take a... And I'm not going to name anybody out, but if you go buy a Rocket, they don't come with the greatest parts. Yeah. I'm selling my car with the best quality parts that you can buy from the get-go, and I'm looking at it being six or $8,000 cheaper than those cars. So, you know... We're, we're sitting in a place with our product and our, our pieces that, you know, we have a very substantial chance of creating a piece that is capable of competing against all these other brands, even at a small scale. And, you know, one thing I did learn from Nick Hoffman, Nick taught me that, you know, the, the less amount of race cars that you have out there, they're, the more sought after they are. So, you know, if we keep our numbers small, it keeps the resale value up for our customers they don't get stuck with a race car that's three or four years old that has no value left in it you know so that's kind of what we're going after we're you know nick's a very successful dirt racer and he has a great business model to follow and you know i'm proud to say that nick hoffman has helped guide the direction of where we are with our race car
0: yeah for sure nick's uh, done a great job with what he has done and uh, we're glad to see that he's uh back on the mend for sure oh absolutely Ham and daryl both the last time we uh done one of these shows it was uh right right after or right before that accident man that, that
1: yeah that, that uh, wrecked
0: me for a few days but i've seen i see nick on about a daily basis now and i've saw daryl the other day and uh, you know just let the listeners out there know they are they're on the mend and they're going to be back to 100% here before much longer I, I do believe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're we're all thankful that they have ha- been able to have a, you know, quick and successful recovery for sure. They're both very, very good people.
0: Absolutely. We'll take another quick break here. You're listening to the Forward Bike Podcast presented by My Race Pass on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. We're here with Josh Richardson and we'll be right back. All right, we're here with Josh Richardson still. We'll go one more segment here. I got a few more little quick questions here for you. What, uh, What is your favorite racetrack in, in in this region and then maybe across the country? Maybe oh, it's a two-part question.
1: Uh, overall, out of all the racetracks I've ever raced on, I got to say Dover is by far my most favorite. Bristol was fun, but the way you could just – Dover would take anything you threw at it. So like, you like
0: the concrete?
1: i liked the banking like you, you could just the more brave you were the faster you could go type of thing um and now in my older age you know i love the small dirt tracks you know i i like going down to uh just outside of columbia south carolina there's a couple good ones down there uh as silly as it is to say, East Lincoln was one of my most favorite racetracks when I was driving Ken Schrader's Modified. We would go over there and play all the time. Um, Fayetteville, the way they've done Fayetteville now, it's a really fun place. Um, I don't really have a favorite. I just like racing. Yeah,
0: we'll go where the show was at that weekend. Yes, sir. I know you uh, raced at Friendship a whole lot, and you kind of hated to see that place go, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Friendship is 20 miles down the road, and... You know, growing up racing the way we have, you don't have 20-mile-down-the-road trips very often. So it was Mm -hmm. nice to get done racing and be home before the end of the hour. And and they had come in and done a substantial job at improving that place. And I hate that the owner was discouraged by some of the actions of some of the racers. And hopefully that they can get that worked out and open it back up because it is a great place for the community and the local racers.
0: I hope that they get get it back open for next season because it like you said it, it's a loss to the racing I never got to go up there I've never been up there more than maybe four or five times over all my life but that place is definitely something that the community needs oh for sure uh, the, in that part of the state up there the local racers
1: track. have a few hours drive to go race anywhere now mm-hmm. and um I've been fortunate to race at friendship when it was pavement and dirt both you know so it's it's a it's got sentimental value because we've been racing there for a long time. I've got a lot of friends in the area that, you know, have family that's grown up racing there and, you know, in the area it's a very, you know, sought after place to go play and for it to be shut down and the, you know, racers have to go elsewhere to look for a place, you know, we need to support our local racetracks a lot more than we're doing no or doubt. we're going to be in trouble and not have a place to go play.
0: I totally agree with that, man. That's a that's that's a topic we can we can touch on. I mean, if uh if we don't if we don't appreciate them and support them then they, they'll they all just go away and we uh i was watching uh i actually watched the last race ever at the, in the history of i80 speedway up there in greenwood nebraska this weekend it was actually streamed on speed sport tv there so shout out to them i watched that saturday night tad posh picked up the final win up there and it was so sad to see I mean, you're looking at it's a that's a world-class facility that they've oh, built absolutely. up there. And I know it's way out there that, we you know, we may never go, but I feel bad for those people in that part of the country that suddenly lose, like, their gym out there.
1: Well, our local racing area has struggled a lot. If you think of Chester or Friendship, yeah. uh, you know, there's multiples in the area that have shut down. We're losing them. You know, if we're going to continue to have business is based on racing we have to have race tracks you Mm -hmm. know and if if we keep internet bashing these places and doing all the things that have caused these people that are putting their hearts and souls and pocket money into these establishments so we can go play then we're all going to be in trouble so we've got to start you know watching our mouths and you know appreciating the opportunities that we have to go do what we love to do
0: yeah you've got that right i've uh yeah, I've learned to not get on there. I, I mean, I have some thoughts about some things from time to time that I would like to say on social media, but I just don't say it because, man, we, like you said, we need these places to stay open, and uh, it don't do no good to get on. It don't do anybody no good to get on there and not a uh, bit bash them. And uh, like you said, we've lost Chester just here in our area, Thunder Valley, and oh, Lawndale. I grew up going that was there a great all one. the time.
1: great one, and uh, um, the list goes on and on. It goes I on mean, and on. Uh, We're going to get to a time where racetracks are going to be far and few between, between the growth of all the areas, the neighborhoods coming in, moving in on racetracks and, you know, the land becoming more valuable than the money produced from racing. You know, like us as racers have to stand around the people that are putting their necks out to have a racetrack. You know, like we all think that just because we load up our race car and we go to a racetrack that they're all going to be there every weekend. Well, that's not the case, you know. It's, you know, showing that the generations are starting to see different forms of activity as entertaining and stuff. Well, us as racers, we have to keep supporting what we have created to, you know, have a business, to have a lifestyle that we enjoy, to do the things that we love. Without that, we're... We're all going to watch football games and basketball games and stuff. That might be
0: all that's left in another twenty or thirty years. You just don't ever know the, f- the future. And over the last few years, I've kind of thought like that. Like, man, what you know? I'm gonna try to go and see as many big races and as much as I can right now because it could all go away. Oh, and I it's love slowly your, starting to kind of. I love your
1: devotion to going yeah. to all these races and making sure that you are taking in the moment, you know, appreciating the atmosphere, you know, enjoying the history of the event that you're at. And, you know, I I like to see that out of race fans and people that support the industry, you know, accepting and appreciating the history and, you know, all of the things that has made what we have today, what we have.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have said that better. And I do appreciate it, man. I, I wish sometimes, I wish I would have been born about 20 years earlier or something so I could have Got to watch Charlie Swartz and Freddie oh, Smith man. and all I, them driving those I would have loved to watch
1: Gary Ballew and, yeah. you know, those guys back in the day when it was, you know, you just did whatever you had to do to race up and down the road.
0: I'll sit sometimes and read some of those old racing papers, whether it be a speed sport or whatever, and I'll read those old articles and you have to paint yourself and realize oh, you're looking yeah. at a paper from 1982 and it's not really like it's. History.
1: We're touching back on the Billy thing. You know that was some of the greatest times of our relationship. We're up and down the road, and he would tell me silly stories of what they were doing back in the day. You know when he was in Hialeah, Florida. Give us one. Oh, he he made me swear that I wouldn't say any of them. So uh, I got to keep those to us. But you know some of the funny stories and the crazy stories and you know the things that you hear about and read about. You know he confirmed that those were true stories and you know, the way people were affording to race and stuff, you know, those, we'll let the imaginations wander there, but you know, those stories were confirmed, you know, and it's cool to have those, you know, firsthand memories from a guy that was alive and racing during those eras, and, you know, building race cars and, you know, creating things from stock cars. And those are things that we don't have anymore.
0: Yeah, for sure. That was a d- totally different time. But yeah, the uh, the racetracks—we got to support them. We got to get the fans to be interested in what the what man. The, it would be nice seeing.
1: if we could have you know packed out grandstands and all that stuff again. The And by no means is this a bash, but we need promoters again. The old school promoters that knew how to get... Nobody's
0: interested in a weekly show. You've got to have something different. Don't get me on my soapbox here, but like (laughs) you go look at some of these racetracks websites and it says weekly show or regular show. And uh, if it's a place I've never or haven't, don't, you know, go all the time. And I might say, I want to go to that track. I'm not going to name any of them, but there's, I've got some of mine. I'll get on their website and it'll just say weekly show or regular show. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like what right. divisions is it like? It needs to be like Sundrop Night or they need to get
1: back stuff. into the promoting. You know, this is entertainment. You know, there needs to be little music in between the races yeah. and silly things happening to keep your interest while they're packing the track and whatnot. You know, there's they're lost the the voyeurship of what this was. You know, it used to be a a a scene you know you would come and you would participate and you would be involved and the things that were happening in between the races kept you in entertained for the races you know there was programs and you knew who was driving what cars and you know there was a fan base of the local racers and a track championship meant something and you know, we gotta get back to that you know if you were a local track champion that doesn't mean that you just didn't travel You know, that means that you were dedicated to this place and that you beat the guys that came there every week. And, you know, all of those things have kind of dissolved. You know, if you're not out on the national tour, there's no recognition or very little or, you know, the guy that's racing Saturday night 15, 20, 30 times a year, regardless of how much money they got or if they worked 60 hours that week, those are the guys that we need to support, you know.
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: And without the front-wheel drive classes and the street stock classes and all that that help to support the racetrack, you know, those are the people that need more recognition. You know, the, the Lucas Oil guys and all that stuff, they get plenty. You know, like, I would love to see more, you know, even the newspapers and stuff don't promote the racetracks or anything they don't. like they used to. When I was growing up, even our go-kart races were in the local you know, Two Flags Raceway where I started racing in Concord, North Carolina. They would advertise who won the Saturday night go-kart race in the Concord paper you know those things aren't out there all that anymore. stuff's
0: going away it's just unreal absolutely the uh you know I was thinking there while you were talking about a good promoter and and the and the big the and you probably were there North Wilkesboro when they had the late model stock race of course Diller and Hart Jr. was there running it and that had a lot to do with oh, it for sure but that event I was there at, you were there right
1: yeah absolutely I,
0: absolutely like that was the top of the top of the heap that i've ever seen for any short track racing event ever 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 it shows. had everything i mean they had the live band dirty grass Soul, before yeah. the green flag they had the driver introductions. They had a flyover. They had the marching band do the national anthem. They had fireworks.
1: It shows there's still a, a lot of, a of interest. There's a lot of interest yeah. in race fans. They just want to be entertained.
0: And that was an entertainment show.
1: And that's all that the racetracks need to put in is a little bit more entertainment. You know, if they have a after party at the racetrack or some of the places up in the Midwest, they've got bars on the, you know, grounds and stuff where people can hang out and you know we get done racing around here in the southeast we load our trailer and we're blasting out of there faster than could be (laughs) we're up in the midwest they get done they
0: they usually drag a cooler out
1: yeah they have fun they laugh they enjoy what they're doing you know those are the things that you know the southeast i think needs to get back to you know the the entertainment and the enjoyment of what you're doing versus just you know we didn't win tonight we're miserable you know we're getting to go play race car you know that's that's a darn good life
0: it is pretty good and it is a good life and it was a good uh, good to have you on our podcast tonight josh and i can't thank you enough and
1: kyle what? i appreciate your time and i appreciate you having me on and i appreciate you allowing me to tell everybody about our legacy chassis and the things that we're trying to produce for everybody
0: yeah, that legacy chassis is going to be uh, something to uh, take a look at, and like he said earlier, you can see it at the PRI show at the, not at the show, right? Or just uh, no,
1: we're not going to have it at the show. We're going to have it at the actual Rayburn shops. Justin Shaw's company and business is called Superheat Solutions. So if you look up Superheat Solutions or Legacy Chassis, we're both on Facebook. Uh, you know, you can keep an eye and stay up to date on where we're at and what we're trying to produce.
0: Well, Josh, I can't thank you enough for being on here tonight, and uh, it's been a good uh, been a good conversation. I think the listeners will enjoy hearing this.
1: I appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you very much.
0: That's been another episode of the Forward Bike Podcast and the books for this week. We'll uh, see
1: you next time.